Hey listeners, Dennis Wisco here. Are you in a good mood? I'm in a good mood. And if you're not in a good mood, find a way to fix that. There's many different ways that you can go about fixing your mood. After all, that is a neuroscience effect more than anything else. And so if you understand that it's science, there's different ways you can experiment with fixing your mood. But how does that relate to today's episode? Well, if you're not in a good mood, that's a problem. That is a problem and problems need to be fixed. Sometimes you have to look at it differently. Sometimes you need new solutions. Sometimes you need innovative solutions. Regardless, when you have problems, you got to be able to think clearly. You got to be able to take in as much information and learn things as possible so that you can execute the right decision. On today's episode, I feature Mr. Joseph Katsala. He's the chief product officer at Automotive Mastermind. He's a mechanic turned tech guy, and he brings a lot of that mechanic style thinking of looking at a problem, diagnosing it, what's the best way to solve it, fix it. And he brings that to his job and just in general to his life. So it was a really, really good discussion that we got into about some of the problems that automotive retailers are facing and just how a guy like Joe looks to fix problems. So you're in for a great episode. Before we get to today's show, listeners, it's not too late to attend Thought Leadership Summits and their second and final vir- virtual conference. It's the CX Data Analytics and AI Summit, and that's occurring on August 4th. Again, it's done virtually. You can easily tune in from wherever you are. You can be in Barbados. Apparently, Barbados right now is looking to attract Americans to re- to work there remotely. So you can be in Barbados and tune in to this conference and hear about all the data analytics and artificial intelligence topics that are relevant to the automotive space. Of particular interest, Ford has recently launched the Ford Bronco, which is going to be an amazing vehicle. By all accounts, the design is superb. They also have the Ford Mustang Mach-E, and that will be coming out here very soon. And so one of the discussions at this virtual conference is a panel discussion that discusses the road to data monetization. And one of the panel members is a representative from Ford, and he works in an area that deals with data insights and analytics. And I think this is gonna be very interesting to hear about how with the Ford Mustang Mach-E and the Ford Bronco, how data will be collected and how it will be interpreted and how it will serve us better. So that is the Thought Leadership Summit on August 4th. Visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash TLS. You can learn more about it. You can then look to visit the link, which will take you to the registration page. And be sure you apply the code WISCO20, WISCO20, and get 20% off admission to this virtual conference. Also, thank you to Commotion Miami and Automotive Mastermind for their support of WISCO Weekly. Now, let's get into the show. 
You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Bienvenidos, Vitaita, Willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wisco Weekly. I'm your host, Dennis Wisco, and you are tuned into the podcast that is exploring the new business models for the mobility of people and goods. And what a show I have for you today. Why? Why, you say? Well, it's because we all have problems, people. We all got problems. And I would actually refer you back to episode number 125, where I featured Erez Salik, where we explored all these different ways to look and address problems. And so that's one of the things that we're going to do today with my guest. My guest is the chief product officer at Automotive Mastermind. He has been involved in the automotive industry for 25 years and is well-versed in dealership software product management, marketing, business development, and strategic partnerships. Prior to joining Automotive Mastermind, he held the position of Senior Director of Product Management at X-Time in San Francisco, and he also served as a Division Manager, Consultant, and Performance Coach for M5 Management Services. But his most prized involvement is the volunteer work he does with his wife. Together, they operate a dog shelter called Pennsylvania Road Trip Rescues. My guest is a fighting Spartan from Northampton College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Men, women, and children, please welcome to the show, Mr. Joseph Kakala. How are you, sir? I am great. Thanks for having me, Joe. Uh, Joe, what is this dog rescue that you operate? Uh, do you guys have a, a website, or how can people find you on that? Yeah, so um, you can go to our website, um, which is roadtriprescues.com, and uh that will have uh, opportunities to donate, to adopt, to view all the dogs that are currently uh, in our shelter, uh, and be able to, you know, make a difference in the world and save save some dogs. And uh, that's that's a passion um, that I share with my wife, and uh, it's really exciting and rewarding work. Uh, we're we're really excited to be a part of it. Just out of curiosity, how did, how did you get in, like, what was the moment in your life that made you think that, okay, saving dogs is what I just feel absolutely passionate about? Um, it, it started with um, uh, my wife, Pam, and she she was uh, working at a rescue, just volunteering. Uh, it, back when they used to have the SPCA local offices, and, and she would volunteer a couple days a week doing laundry, you know, towels and things like that for, for cleaning and um, they had a dog that, that was a, a pit bull mama that w- had just had babies and they, they didn't have any place for this dog to go. And Pam said, you know what, I'll, I'll take her home and I'll look after her until the puppies are old enough to be adopted. Well, that, that, started, that started it and that was about seven years ago and we haven't looked back since. Uh, and, you know, over the course of that seven years, you know, we're, Pam and I have ha- personally had hundreds of dogs in, in our home because we are a... Uh, volunteer foster um, based uh, rescue where we don't have a kennel where we have a bunch of dogs. We, all of our dogs go into actual people's homes until we find their forever home for them. So we, we use a, a little different approach, but um, we've had hundreds through here and we just love it. And and what is your favorite foster dog? Don't answer that question. No, no, don't answer. I that's, have six that's... of them that have not left. So I have six of those answers. <laughs> okay, excellent. That That is the good answer. Well, well, Joe, so 
You have quite an interesting background where you started in the automotive space as a mechanic and have now graduated up to becoming the chief product officer at Automotive Mastermind. I think I think there are similarities you can draw between being a mechanic and, and being involved on the product side in the technology business. But I certainly believe that you would actually serve as a role model for a lot of other mechanics who may have an interest in technology and wanting to graduate furthering their careers. So I'm curious, what were some of the you know intentional steps you took in your life to go from mechanic to a chief product officer? Yeah, I definitely don't have a traditional tech uh, path uh, where where you know you you usually go to college, you intern, and then you just work your way through some tech ranks. You know, I started out as a as a technician, you know, many moons ago, and so the first half of my career was um, progressing through. Uh, the retail dealership world from a technician to an advisor to a service manager and eventually, uh, you know, a corporate fixed operations director over, you know, multiple locations. And, you know, the the key thing about that, the key takeaway from that is that, you know, if you think about all those jobs, uh, they are all helping to solve problems, right? They're typically other people's problems, whether it's a broken vehicle, uh, a customer that needs a ride because their car is being worked on, or, or others, right? So it's, it's, it's all about problem solving. And, you know, how that equates to technology really is, if you think about technicians today, the, the, the plethora of skills they have to have from being a, an upholster to put a seat cover on to an electrician to a plumber, right? I mean, there are many trades that, that are made uh, up in the automotive industry as a technician that you know, they're all solving problems from in different areas of the world. So um, that, that was a really good foundation uh, that helped me at least going forward um, to, to, to be able to break things down to the smallest thing, right? And, and that's really when we get to the tech side, um, you know, I, I was a, a, a corporate fixed ops director. I had uh, 23 locations that I was responsible for. And, you know, that's it's a lot of work. And, and um, I had... Uh, a big interest in um, business intelligence. And so uh, that was my first foray into the technology side of the world is that I, I joined a tech company as, an, as a subject matter expert for automotive business intelligence. And so that, that's, that's where I got my start. And I just loved it. I loved um, using analytics to solve problems. Um, but the one thing I did find was that, you know, we can put all the data and all the issues that that exist in, in a, and this is all in the dealership realm, in front of a dealership, but many of them aren't able to execute and solve on them, solve those problems. So the, the, the second part of my tech career was all about software that solved problems, that either was solving a workflow or solving a consumer um, communication issue, all the way through uh, my time with Cox Automotive, um, you know, being a, a VP of product responsible for for essentially anything related to part service uh, uh, and servicing of vehicles. And, that, and that's really all about solving problems, obtain, you know, I have to find a time when I can bring somebody in, I have to figure out what's wrong with the car, I have to create an estimate. Like these are all just, these are all solvable problems, but tech makes that a lot easier to solve um, if you have the right tools. And that's really what got me interested in, in technology is I just love being able to break problems down to the smallest thing and then being able to build 
um, whether it's a process or an actual technology to solve that problem. That, that's, that's really where my passion has been all my life. It's always been around solving things. Let's, let's go back to the um, rescue that you and your wife operate. <clears throat> so if we were to take a look at that operation, I'm sure you have your own host of problems in that operation itself. Give me, tell me one particular problem that you have, and then how how do you look at trying to address it? Yeah, um, so one of the biggest problems that we really have is the vetting of all the dogs, right? Um, uh, because th there's a, a a whole slew of, of animals that come up here, and and um, you know we were it, uh, up until just recently, because this is a, a recent problem we had to solve. Um, we're taking our dogs to multiple vets in, in the, basically the, almost the tri-state area. I'm, I'm situated very close to New Jersey, New York, Delaware. I have very close um, um, to those borders. And, you know, we're just, we're taking dogs all over the place. And um, one, there was a, a huge cost to that, right? And, and being a, a nonprofit rescue, you know, finding uh, donations and dollars to support that, you know, it's, it is challenging. And, and, uh, those, those vet bills add up very quickly. And we truly believe every animal should be fully vetted and healthy before it is adopted. So, um, what we did was we, we actually found a vet to work with us that is, uh, and, and two vet techs and, and we brought them on as, as rescue, um, vet, and vet techs to do to do all these uh, spay neuters and vetting of animals um, directly through our shelter. So um, there there's initial cost to you know bring that live. But the problem we solved was we're not spending you know you know some of our vet bills are in the tens and tens of thousands of dollars across all these animals. Uh, bringing that in has really helped us to one have better quality because we we really trust the vet we have. But most importantly, is that we can reduce our cost to and and what that allows us to do is bring more dogs to the rescue. So I see, yeah, right. The 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 real problem that you were facing in this particular situation was really the cost element of the the vets. And so by addressing that particular problem and being hyper-focused on it, you were then able to alleviate the other byproducts of having a vet now on staff and the accessibility it gives you and, and whatnot. I mean, so if we then look at then some of the problems that automotive retailers have, okay? So again, I, I, one of the reasons why I want to ask that question is I think that kind of gives a good... Um, foundation to how how to look at problems or how Joe looks at problems. So with retailers, one of the issues that's going on is that with the economic crisis that is currently in place, there's quite a few licensed drivers who are either you know delinquent on payments, uh, perhaps that they're waiting to make a change on on a car, so they're just holding their existing one. Uh, I mean. Even even working from home has brought this idea up that maybe the licensed driver doesn't need two cars anymore. So if you're on the automotive retail side right now, or even even at the you know the tier one level, the automakers who are also looking at these problems, how do you still make money in the automotive at in the automotive ecosystem? 
Yeah, I'll first start out to say that, you know, there are a, a lot of um, fellow Americans that are really suffering through these times. And, and many of them, um, you know, have vehicles that, you know, they, they, the, the usage of those are way down. Uh, I think it's evident if you look everywhere, you know, every insurance company is giving back, um, you know, because people just aren't driving the miles that they were previously. And so, you know, I think dealerships have a giant opportunity to first help consumers that are out there that um, are, you know, either struggling or just need a reliable vehicle, right, to, to get back and forth to work, even, even if it isn't just a, uh, an issue with a remote worker. So when we look at, at, at the opportunity, this becomes uh, a, a giant opportunity for a new channel to acquire inventory. Um, you know, if we look at what's happened because of the, the, the pandemic and the economic crisis that has uh, followed it, um, we see things like new car inventories have been significantly impacted from the closures. Um, we see pressure on vehicle prices that are going through the auctions and the wholesale prices really skyrocketing so that the, the, the price of to, to acquire inventory has gone through the roof. And so, you know, I, I implore dealers to start thinking a different way. And what, what most dealers um, and, and the, the really progressive ones are probably thinking about this, but many, many, many don't. And that is that they have a portfolio of consumers that they have dealt with over, we'll, we'll use a five, five uh, year time period, which is in the tens, tens of thousands of consumers that they have dealt with, whether it's through their service department or they've sold a new vehicle or a pre-owned, those are all potential inventory um, acquisitions, right? And those acquisitions could be far less costly than going to, for example, an auction. So when we look at these portfolios of consumers, not everybody is ready to buy a new car or buy a pre-owned vehicle, but there are some, as, as you mentioned early, earlier in the question was, that are hurting, right? That would be willing to sell their vehicle outright. And there are some companies out there that will do cash offers and things like that. But the reality is that consumers are going to be more comfortable with the dealership that they're doing business with, that they trust and are loyal to. And I think that there's just a giant opportunity to, to first help these people, second, have a, a great way to get pre-owned inventory uh, into their dealerships. And how, how, do they gonna, how are they gonna make money? They're gonna make money a couple ways with, a, with that inventory that they can acquire. One is that they're gonna run it through their service department. Their service department is going to create a, a profit off of the work that they do to recondition a vehicle. But most importantly is they now have um, a pre-owned vehicle, have pre-owned vehicles that they can put up for sale. And those, those pre-owned vehicles could potentially be um, either more profitable because they are able to acquire them at a lower cost, but the, the vast number of customers that they have in their, their portfolio, that they have enough inventory uh, there that they could pull from to, to, to really fan this whole pre-owned push because of the new car inventory um, that has been lost. And I had one more thing before, and, and it's really around the pre-owned its uh, inventory and and why it's so important is that there's there's a you know with the lack of new vehicles to sell, especially in the trucks, 
um, that, that they're really hit hard. Um, those have essentially sold out in many states where, you know, it'll be September or October before they see any real relief with some new inventory. Pre-owned vehicles are just going to be um, there for the budget conscious. Um, we, we're, uh, I'm monitoring a trend today that people are, are migrating out of these heavily populated areas more to the suburbs, and many of them will need to commute into these these populated areas to go to their actual job. But there's this new thing that I'm, I'm learning about, and that's the fear of public transportation. So we actually are seeing a trend, whether it holds or not, we'll see, of consumers wanting a vehicle um, versus taking public transportation that they may have used previously. So really, really interesting dichotomy. You know, the last point you brought up there is something that is near and dear to my heart and, and not necessarily in a good way, but the the fear of public transportation is definitely very prevalent right now. And it certainly is within the public sector a very big issue because they are facing a a decrease in ridership. They're facing decrease in budgets, but yet all the talks of the public sector is to invest more money to get more people on when for some reason, this is, you know, this is some pipe dream that in this pandemic, people want to keep coming back to public transportation. I am definitely a bigger proponent of if you're trying to solve the mobility issues of, of, of an essential worker at the moment, getting an affordable used car is a better way to go. Now, I am curious, though, on your end of things, this is actually kind of maybe a mismatch then of your mac, uh, mechanic background as well as your technology background then. So, you know, I don't I don't want to get too uh, socioeconomic with this, but, you know, one of the latest things that is being talked about, at least on uh, Biden's uh, economic stimulus plan is a cash for clunkers program. However, that stimulates EV sales. I would almost argue, why can't we try to convert used cars and put EV motors in pre-owned cars? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think from a scalability and a cost perspective, I think you end up with the pre-owned vehicles that are converted to be in about the same price as if it was probably new because they, they are they are vastly different in the way that they operate, the way that their suspensions are built, the way that obviously their motors are electric versus uh, gas or diesel. So I, I think that those conversions um, could make sense in some cases, um, especially in the cases of hybrid vehicles that exist today. But I think that, you know, the cash for clunkers, if we look back to, you know, 2008, when, when that was um, implemented in, in a, that crisis back then, uh, a lot of that really truly got vehicles off the road that were just high polluters, right? And that, and that was a really, really good thing. The thing about cars that have been built in the last 10 years, the, the pollution side of it is still a factor, but it's not as big as it was with the vehicles that were pulled off the market in the past. I think cash for clunkers could really help our dealers by helping them to get into more efficient vehicles. Um, the, the pollution side of it is, is critical, but really looking at hybrids and EVs are, listen, they're the future. Um, and, and at some point, the, the market is going to tip and move that direction. There are 300 million vehicles on the road in the United States today that are gas or diesel. So they're not going away anytime soon. 
but I think there's a good opportunity to, to convert a large number of those 300 million to more efficient, less polluting vehicles, and also stimulating, obviously, the economy. Um, as, as many of the listeners will, will know, or they will know after I say this, is that if you think about an automotive manufacturer, they're everything from glass to rubber to plastic, it, the, the vast number of, um, of people that work in this industry directly and indirectly is unbelievable. Um, and, and, you know, boosting this, this sector of the economy is just good for, for our country. Yeah, it, that's actually a very good point in being very precise about a cash for clunker stimulus package that is more geared towards, I mean, if the compromise is where you want to stimulate the economy by investing in EV and EV sales, well, a better way to solve that or a better compromise would be looking at a lot of the pre-owns and seeing what are those pre-owns that are electrified that are hybrid and maybe incentivize those sales. And so that that actually would be a very good compromise. I'm telling you, between what you're saying here, I had Dale Pollack on the show too. These are things that I'm hoping that a lot of the elected officials do hear about because there is going to be some sort of stimulus package coming down the way. And I do hope it's not just going to be wasted on on EV sales for new cars, which we know that's just too far in the distant future. There are things that we can handle right now. So in speaking of right now, you know, one of the other problems that retailers are facing is the shorten staff. Uh, we've we've had a lot of retailers who have laid off staff as a result uh, or at the start of the shutdowns. They have yet to rehire everyone back. And, and certainly even the people that it seems like they want to hire back, they want to kind of start start them off or you know hire new people, but start them off at a lower wage. So essentially your entry-level positions. So now you're kind of losing a lot of that product knowledge that you had with your older workforce, your more mature workforce. So obviously one of the ways that, you, that I'm certain these uh, dealer operators are trying to solve this problem is trying to get the right technology into their system. And a lot of times by putting technologies in their system, sometimes that introduces new problems, new things that they have to learn. So how do you look at trying to implement the right technology for a automotive retail operation? Yeah. So if you think about the, the retail operations and what they've gone through in the last four months, um, they had to shut down. They laid off a large part of their staff. They were working um, on skeleton crews as they came back online. Um, and what they're finding is that if they have the right tech, um, they actually didn't need um, all these different layers in the first place. They're, they're learning that. But that's with the right tech. Um, and you know the, the, the key things around implementation of tech and, and having the right technology partner is you need to have a partner, not a company that's just trying to sell you something. Um, so I, I break it really into to, uh, kind of three buckets. The first one, the, one of the most important is what is the support that you get from the tech company? So the technology aside, do you have team members that are account managers that will actually know what, what, what the problems are that you're trying to solve on a daily basis, have lived that, have worked in that space, and um, are able to then come in and not only help you implement the tech technology, but in, implement it in a way that doesn't require you to hire three more people because you have a new piece of technology that somebody has to be the admin of. 
Um, so really super important is to have um, a, a really good set of account managers and, and a company that is going to support you. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be on site. That could be virtual. And, um, you know, through, through the, the, the COVID crisis at Mastermind, we focused and doubled down in this area. We thought it was so important to be there for our dealer partners to provide them support, to provide them um, not only account managers, but even in our, our technology, we made changes that were um, made to support the, the here and now, right? And, and, and did that very quickly. And that, that's really important to have a company that has your back and will support you. I think the second part is really around the technology itself, right? Um, a lot of technology um, out there uh, is, it, it's a means to an end. It still requires um, users or gray, I'll call it gray matter, that, that have to interpret what, what, the, what the technology is telling them to do or, 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 or they have to take an actual step. And we all know human nature, not everybody does everything uh, perfect every time, like follow, hey, make your 10 calls, things like that in the sales side of the world. So, you know, when, when we have a technology that is really not delivering automated results, then, you know, that, that, that becomes a big issue. And that's really um, one of the issues that are, I should say not issue, but problem that our dealers are solving today is reduction in staff. So a technology that is delivering automated results that doesn't need somebody to go in and do something every day um, is really important. It's really important that um, it, you, you, you have a partner that's going to um, support you with technology that's automatically generating the results that you need. And then the third thing really is about um, treating um, each other. So if, if you are a dealership and you have vendors um, you know, okay, a vendor will provide you with a tool or a product that you need, but really finding partners, um, and, and partners are more than just, um, somebody that's going to sell you something and provide you sword and tech, but really somebody is partnering with you to help you to, to solve the problems that you have with existing, uh, technology or support that, that we have today, or, but most importantly, what are we doing going forward together? Um, and, and really building out and making the product 100% um, focused on our customers. And that's really the mastermind way is provide the best support we possibly can, provide technology that delivers results without, you know, somebody having to go and do something. And most importantly, being true partners, not a vendor. It's, it's the father, son, Holy Spirit right there, huh? Yeah, it is, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, let's going back to that, your first item of support. I mean, I've I've been singing the praises of Automotive Mastermind and, and how you guys just quickly pivoted from your normal day-to-day -day operations of being, you know, a software vendor to all of a sudden now being a call center, a business development center for your dealer partners. I mean, that is something that is truly remarkable and, you know, probably reinforces your third point of being a partner with, you know, with, with your dealer clients. But maybe tell me about that. How was how it that a, such a, a you know, a, a thoughtful organization, an automotive mastermind that is diligent and productive in your own areas of work? basically within the course of, I don't know, two, three days, flip the switch on becoming now a business development center for all of your dealer partners. 
How, how, how did like, obviously no one, oh, no one besides the people that were involved in the company saw what was going on. But if you had to take me back to those days, if I'm a fly on the wall, what, what was going on? Yeah. So um, almost immediately after, you know, essentially the whole country shut down, um, we didn't get, we didn't slow down at Mastermind. We sped up. Um, we went to um, um, daily um, ideation sessions, like what can we do to help our customers? And every single day we spent time on that and, you know, hundred ideas came out and, and, you know, we didn't implement them all, but not, not all of them were winners, but we, we found some that were truly beneficial. And one of the biggest problems our dealer partners had was that, I mean, we, we had some dealer partners that it was the owner and like uh, their, their family members running the dealership, trying to keep the dealership alive. And so we just thought about, we have account managers that actually have worked in the roles, right? And, and we're saying, okay, how can we leverage those team members with their expertise to really help our dealer partners? And, and that's where the, the virtual BDC was born, where um, we were going and, and setting way, way more qualified appointments than, than even the dealerships were prior to the COVID. And uh, that, that was a, a really a, uh, uh, an incredible implementation and execution on, on our commercial side of the business with uh, Andrew Rains, our, our chief uh, revenue officer, um, who you you know took that idea and took it you know 10x easily, and uh, you know what, the feedback that we got from our dealers was they they're like we consider you family because you you literally jumped in and helped save my business and and that that's rewarding right obviously. Um, um, uh, without without our support of being a true partner, those dealerships may or may not, you know, make have made it through this uh, kind of craziness in this world that we're in. Well, definitely a, a shout out to Andrew Rains, and as I call him, the 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 Reverend Andrew Rains. Um, <laughs> it's now, a good title for him. <laughs> I don't know if he'll take it, but he is definitely an evangelist. <laughs> no, he, that's why I call him the Reverend. Um, now. So you guys have also developed um, a, a very hyper-focused page to help dealerships um, with troubleshooting through 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 tr- problematic times. Uh, your it's your resources page, right? Uh, one of the things that you had just mentioned was that you guys were very successful in scheduling appointments and just turning your BDC, your your internal staff into a BDC and and being able to outreach to customers and book appointments. Can people find some of those best practices on that page there on what you guys were doing that was successful for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Not not only that, but those are those are the types of things that we share with our dealer partners all all the time. So our account managers are constantly engaging with our dealer partners, and th- that's just one example that um, although we leaned in to help execute and, and, and make that the physical calls, that process and those procedures and how we did it is replic- we can replicate yeah. that. Well, so, you know, you had mentioned earlier that one of the, uh, one of the things that uh, dealerships should look to focus on is their portfolio of customers over the last five years. You can say that's in a lot of ways that a dealership operation, that business is comprised of three segments of customers. You have your service customers, your loyalty customers, and your conquest customers. 
I gather you, you've already mentioned that the service customer is a particular segment to focus on. I'm wondering to affirm, is that the right segment to focus on? And if so, why that, you know, why, why the service customer over the acquisition customer? Why over the loyalty customer? Is that the same customer? Yeah. So if you think about um, consumers in, in a cycle, right? Um, most consumers um, swap out of a car, you know, on average around five years. Um, it, for, for consumers that are in that cycle, there are many that hold them longer, but about five years. And if you think about um, your service, your loyalty, and your conquest, I'll call them audiences, right? And, and so if we look at all three of them, they're all mission critical, right? They all have uh, equal weight in the value that they can bring to the, uh, to the, to the dealerships and to the business. But there are some right now that um, uh, a more um, laser-focused approach to will, will likely yield longer-term results. So okay. if we think about our loyalty customers, if we are providing our loyalty portfolio uh, of, cons of consumers consistent service, right, because that's, that's critical, they're going to service with, our, with our, our dealership, and if they service with us, they're more likely to, to buy their next vehicle from us or buy a second vehicle. So taking care of our, lo our loyalty customers and nurturing them through their, their cycle, whether it's a three-year lease, a five-year finance, and that's one of the, the key things that we do is we make sure that we keep um, the dealership and the consumer engaged while they're a loyal customer. Then we have our, what, what we call our service customers, right? And if you think about service, there's, there's really two audiences that go through the service department. There's the first audience is all your loyal customers that have purchased with you. They continue to do business with you. Wouldn't go anywhere else are, are servicing their vehicle, you know, two, three times a year. Um, and, and that's great. We need to give them a great experience or they're less likely to come back. But th th those are, that's one segment of the service business. The other segment is that, you know, um, on average, we're seeing around 20% um, across our portfolio of, of dealer customers that um, customers going across the service tribe never bought a vehicle from that dealership. They are, they're coming from somewhere else, whether it's the, the dealership that's 20 miles away or they moved for what a myriad of reasons. And those customers are the customers that you need to really focus on. There's, there's the opportunity for your next sale, for your additional sale to the household. And, and that's part of our service conquest, uh, what we call service conquest um, product, which we really go after those, those consumers that did not buy at the dealership and make sure that they feel like they're part of the fold, right? And in addition to that, most dealers don't know anything about those consumers. So being focused um, using, for example, Mastermind, we will then provide them all the information you need to know about that consumer. And then they become part of their loyalty por uh, portfolio where we, we nurture them very similar to a, a normal loyalty customer, but we nurture them to their next vehicle purchase. Um, so that's really, that, that's low hanging fruit today that, that if you focus on that, you would be wildly successful. And then of course there is conquest um, and conquest is, really just going out into your addressable market and pulling consumers into your brand and your dealer that may never have thought about shopping with you. And, and that's important. And, and 
there's, there's a number of ways that Mastermind goes about that, but the primary way is really understanding the consumers, their, their, where they are in their cycle, as well as um, whether or not they're what we call a nomad or a loyalist. You know, if they're loyal to a brand, then we know that they likely will buy that brand again because of their past history. But really focusing on conquest is where you're going to get net new customers uh, in, in through your dealership. And that one's a little tougher. Those, those consumers uh, we know a little less about, but um, it, it's still a really important segment of the market that we, we can't lose focus on. Um, and, and there's, especially with what I believe will happen, and, and this is Joe's opinion only, is that you know I think we're going to see more consolidation of uh, dealerships into groups. Um, I think dealer groups are going to grow over, over the next 24 to 36 months. And I think some customers are going to get lost in that shuffle, some consumers, right? And they're going to be looking for places to buy and service their vehicles. So Conquest is really important to continue to, um, to entice those consumers to do business with you. So that, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of all three of those, but the service is the lowest, the service Conquest customers is the lowest hanging fruit. Um, you know, if you figure, if you, if you, do a thousand ROs a month and, and 200 of them are Conquest customers, you know, you, you can have 2,400 consumers that never bought a car from you into your portfolio a year. Um, and remember that that's just the one car. Typically when one car is sold, it at least creates two transactions, at least a trade-in and a, and a purchase of a new vehicle. Sometimes it's a third because then that, that, um, that trade-in, if it does make it to the sales lot is an additional sale. So there's, there's all these tentacles that are all, uh, you know, kind of attached to each other that it's really important that all three of these get the attention they deserve. The 20% of service customers then that never bought a car at the dealership, but go to a dealership to service their car are, are the transactions are the, are the services that they are getting um, do you know, are, are, are these just b your basic services or are they, you know, because they bought somewhere else and again, let's presuming that they bought at a CarMax or a Carvana where they don't have a shop, they buy there and that, you know, now they need to take it to a dealership because, uh, you know, it's not just an oil change. It's, it's a full blown belt that they need to update and whatnot. Do you know the kinds of, um, services that these particular customers are getting in general? I, I mean, I can't, I don't know the specifics, but you know, from, from my experience, um, typically it starts with something like a warranty repair or a recall, right? That's, that's, that's a big one that, that draws consumers in from other places where they purchased, but some consumers had just moved into the area and it's the, it's a Toyota store and I want to service at a Toyota store, for example. Um, some are, I had a bad experience with that other store. I'm going to go to this store. And I think the services are going to be indicative of each of the brands, right? Whether it's high maintenance or uh, repair work or recalls or warranty, you know, I think that varies widely across all the different uh, OEM brands, but uh, th these, these are just super important consumers that we need to, you know, if somebody walked into my, you know, if I was still in the service business and the service side of the business, if somebody walked into my dealership that didn't buy from me, um, not that I, I wouldn't treat all customers equal. You would be offended I, I, first off, right? You would be very offended. You'd be like, what are you doing here? Give yeah, them that, that I, naughty, I, dirty look. Yeah. And I really look at it and go, 
you know, maybe I want to hug those customers a little more than, than, than normal because, you know, ultimately it's critical that the, these are just consumers that are saying, I want to do business with you and, and you just need to make it easy for them to do business with you. Okay. So along those lines, actually, so th- th- this is a good last question here for you then. So let's put yourself in the position of a service director, a general manager with your service background, and you are getting ready to, you, you, you want to prime your store for a buy sell opportunity. All right. There's uh, there's three dealership I, that I know of a hand, you know, stones throw away from me that have sold. So that that is the case that there are a lot of dealerships being acquired. So you are head of a store right now. You're trying to prime your dealership to get sold. And you want to specifically address the problems or you want to specifically address the service side to get that ready. Mm. What do you do? Oh, wow. Um, Listeners, take notes on this right now. Okay, go ahead, Joe. It's been, it's been, so full disclosure, it has been, um, been some time since I've, I've been in the retail side of the business. So this is the, the Joe's opinion, (laughs) Um, not necessarily masterminds, but I think that, you know, when you look at the service department for a buy sell uh, and, and parts comes along for the ride. And if you have a collision center, that will also come along for the ride. And it's really around, uh, reducing your obsolescence in the parts department, reducing the the inventory that you have in stock overall so that you have a, a really solid balance sheet on the parts side. On the, um, on the service side, it's really around having a solid, consistent, effective rate so that um, you know, you're, you're, you're overall showing that you can generate a profit um, and also being able to have enough um, technicians that can actually produce the flat rate hours that, you know, ultimately are what generates the revenue for the service side. But, you know, there's, there's also the basics around all your expenses, making sure your expenses are in line, um, you know, that you have strong assets from an equipment perspective. I've seen, I've been through um, uh, at least a dozen buy sales over the course of my career. And the, the biggest area that I've always found to be, um, just a total nightmare is the essential tools and the inventory of that. And, and you know, the, the, the sheer cost of those tools are in, incredible and, and they're typically mismanaged. So having those in line would not be a bad thing, uh, especially as you are uh, looking to sell. And it, it really comes down to what are you doing to gen- generate the revenue? How are you getting customers through your door? And, um, you know, the service and sales departments are, are typically on two sides of a wall, but they don't realize that they can't live with each out, without each other. If we don't sell more cars, um, we're not going to have more service and, and it, it's a, it perpetuates itself. Um, and so, you know, it's really important that you have a good relationship and that the P&L uh, for, for part service and for selling is all, you know, in a good place because they're all related. So, you know, I mean, if we want to get into buy sell, we could potentially spend hours on that. But, uh, you know, I've always focused on uh, the people is the final thing is that are the right people in there managing this? Are they doing the right things? Um, Because you could you could have a store that looks really good on paper. But when you you know, when you go and look at the team members, you know, sometimes team members end up in positions that were out of convenience because they had a, they needed a warm body sometimes in, in our industry. 
And so really, you know, having a good team is, is that that's worth a lot of money, quite frankly, if I'm, I'm looking to buy a dealership. Listeners, that's Mr. Joseph Kukala, the Chief Product Officer at Automotive Mastermind. Joe, what, what do you have on your plate with Automotive Mastermind? What's coming down the pipeline with you guys? Oh, gosh, so much. Um, so I'll talk about our, our uh, newly in, uh, enhanced pre-owned. So we, we are continue to invest in the pre-owned side of our business. Um, and so that, that work is underway. We'll have iterations delivered. Um, over the next, uh, really over the next three quarters, we'll have big releases coming. I don't want to share too much about that, um, but I will say that you know in September um, we'll have we'll have our first big kind of release of, uh, of uh, pre-owned uh, iterations, and then we will we will continue to iterate and make investments uh, at least for the in through the end of Q1 and possibly even in the Q2 next year, uh, based on feedback and. Um, the the value that we see in the pre-owned side of the world. Um, we've already made those investments heavily in the new car side, so we're, we've shifted some of those resources to really help us to invest in pre-owned, and um, and that that includes um, complete new approach to marketing that we will announce at NADA this year. Oh, dun dun dun! And Joe, how can people follow you? Yeah, um, so they can follow me on, mainly on LinkedIn and on uh, Twitter at FixedOps um, is my Twitter handle. And You were able to secure that handle to FixedOps? I've had that for a long time. Yeah, you must have been one of the first people to hop on Twitter then with that. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And and also at LinkedIn, it, you know, I Joe Casala. 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 Sorry. I kept saying Kakala. Casala. Fine. Uh, well, uh, that's not an issue. Uh, you know, I've been called worse. <laughs> well, listeners, I will put all that information on the episode page. Thank you for this episode of Wisco Weekly as we end every episode. Cheers. Prost. Lchaim. Kipis. Nastravi. Salute. Kampai. Mabruk. Tutsins. Gambe. Yamas. Nastarovie. Vo. And salute. To the customer experience. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. I'm your co-host, Kelly Cruz, along with Dennis Wisco. We're so happy to have you with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue to follow us. One of the ways you can follow us is through social media. You can do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Not the Twitter, just Twitter. You can also look us up on LinkedIn. So please follow us on those different media channels in order to keep up to date with all that we have going on. Thank you for joining us.